Okay, it's great to see all of you from all over the world, Baruch Hashem. I've never done something like this, so uh, excuse me if I'm not exactly uh, sure which way to look in the camera and the big screen and the small screen, exactly how this works over here. But we'll do our best, but as Hashem Deshmaya. So we're living in times that are very, very difficult. We're living in times that we simply don't understand. We don't understand what's going on amongst us, what's going on in the world, what's going on in our own town, in other people's towns, to other people, to people that we know, to people that we don't know. And I've had on the phone just today, I've had somebody that's mother was on a, is on a respirator, somebody whose father was just sniffed on Shabbos, somebody whose father just got rushed into the hospital. In the last few hours, I've had a number of phone calls from people in different places in the world telling me over their experiences, what should I do, some chizuk, whatever it is. And a fellow calls me on air of Shabbos, and he says to me, his mother's on a respirator, his mother's gasping for breath. He said, you know, all the rabbis are busy talking about emunah and bitachon, but he said, that's very nice if a person's worked on it. But if you've never worked on it before, if you've never really spent time to think about emunah, to instill it within yourselves, it's very, very difficult all of a sudden to just work on it. And I mentioned to him that it's a very, very true point. And it reminds me that when I spoke once to Agoin Hagodl of Israel Orbach Shlita, and he mentioned to me a story about his brother of Shmuel Zatzal, that Rabbi Shmuel, his brother, used to go very often to Hasanas and he used to stay for a long period of time. Which was a very unusual thing. He used to stay for a long time and he used to listen to, to all the droshes and he'd be there for the singing and he would sit there learning in the side. And nobody understood exactly why. You know, a godel normally goes and a godel goes to a chasana, he walks in, says mazel tov, he'll sing for a moment, he'll dance for a moment and then he'll walk out, continue life. But Rav Shmuel Zatzal used to sit there for hours and they asked him why. What was the reason? And he said very simple, he said, you know, for me, lying, you know, sit, sitting in this wedding and, and learning is the same thing as me learning in my house. It's the same thing. And they said, how does that work? How's that possible? There's so much noise, there's drums, there's people, there's dancing, there's so many distractions. How do you possibly do that? So he said an amazing thing. And his brother of Israel told me over the story like this. He said to me that... He started in a study, nice and quiet, in his house, there was nobody there. Very easy to learn, right? We can all learn quietly in a room, no problem. We can open up a Gemara, we can open up the Daf, we can open up a Chomish, a Mishtabura. We can figure out to do that. And then he said, once he had, you know, got past that stage, which was very easy, he went to the next stage, he went out into the street. Then into the street, there's a couple of cars here and there, maybe there's kids hanging around, you know, by the, by the uh, park down there, whatever it may be. And he managed to control and to actually... Um, to have concentration even in that and then he moved on to the next level he moved on to the level of much more noise until eventually when he had catered each and every level he managed to actually um, and by a wedding managed to have Kavana managed to have an amazing amount of concentration which is an amazing thing and I'll tell you what I learned from that I'll tell you what I learned from that as follows I think we just have to put some people on on mute. If everyone can please put themselves on mute, that would be great. If we can mute everyone.
we're getting there. Sorry about this. I told you it is our. Please mute themselves, please. If everybody mutes themselves. Okay. All right. I think we're back to there now. So, as I said, he started off in an easy way. He started when it was easy to have kavana, to have intention, to have concentration, and then he moved on to the high levels. And I said to this fellow that called me up on Erev Shabbos, I said, it's very, very true with our own imuna. You know, it's one thing to have a situation where something just is thrown at us, and we're not used to it, we're not able to cope with it, and all of a sudden it happens, we're like, whoa, where did this come from? From left field, as they say in America. But no, if we start working on it in a small way, if we manage when it's easy, when things are not so hard, then, if we could do that, then we can actually... Um, do what you mean, then we can manage when something even harder comes our way. And that's an amazing thing because that applies very much to what's going on right now. It applies very much to what's going on right now because what's going on right now is something that we don't understand. It's something that's hard for us to comprehend. It makes no sense to us. We've never experienced this. Nobody has ever experienced such a thing. If we were just thrown into it, it would be very hard. But what the hope is... And it's really a hope that we actually have worked on it beforehand. And I mentioned this for those of you that were with us in Poland. I mentioned this with God Leisner. With God Leisner, I said over the story of God Leisner was an unbelievable God. And he came out of the concentration camps with a tremendous amount of amunah. And he asked, and people asked him, how did you do it? How did you leave such a place, a place of pure Gehenna? And you had so much amunah. How? And he said, I'll tell you, and it's a famous story. He took a bottle of Coca-Cola and he took off the lid and he held the lid in his hand. And he said, what do I have in my hand? And he said, what do you mean? You have a Coca-Cola lid. That's obvious. We saw it go in there. So he said, that's exactly what happened. If a person had a Muna before he walked in, then he had a Muna when he left as well. It's not something you can click your fingers, open up a Musa Safer and off you go. But it's a life job. It's a job that you have to keep on working on. It's something that we all, and I speak for myself as well, that we have to keep being machazik ourselves all the time to make sure that we've really conquered and we never will conquer it. It's something that we always have to work on. So I just want to mention for today, this is the very first Zoom share that I've ever done in my life. I just, I didn't try to do it. I'm not sure what to speak about, what the Olam wants. But I figured that an, a parav item will be something on Emunah, something to work on for ourselves, something to think about. Because as someone, one of the Chashva Bachar mentioned to me this morning, you know, if Chas Shalom, this does not end with Mashiach. And we all hope that it will. But Ezra Hashem, one of the Rambam's 13 principles is that we believe every single day in Mashiach. And every single day, maybe it feels a little bit more real nowadays. We've been seeing some of the simonim. But if Chas V'Shalem, Lo'aleinu, Rachman al-Islam, this does not end with Mashiach. We don't want a situation where in three weeks' time, or four weeks, or five weeks, whenever that may be, and we're going to just go back to normal. We're just going to live life as normal. We'll make our big weddings. We'll go back to traveling. We'll do whatever we have to do. Because that's life. Okay, we had a few weeks of a hiccup, but now we can go back to normal. No. Something must change. Something has to completely change in ourselves that we walk away as different people. And that I think definitely has to be, amongst many things, the Indian of Amunah.
The Indian of believing, and as I mentioned, it's something that we don't know what's going on in the world. We don't know if it's going to get worse. Is it going to get better? It should not get any worse. It's bad enough as it is. There are people, Nebuch, and again, I'm speaking to many of them, some of them on an hourly basis, who are giving me updates of what's going on in the hospital, what's going on in different places. I'm hearing firsthand from people what's going on, what are they experiencing, and it's really bad. We don't want it to get worse. But if chas v'shalom it does, we have to be ready for the challenges. And emuna is one of those things that we can do. Emuna and we can do, emuna is something that we can constantly work on to try and make sure that we actually manage to go and work on ourselves in this thing. Okay, let me just one second. I've just had a, um, just had a, uh, something came in, manage... One second, I've had manage participants and select mute all. Hold on a second. Again, this is my first time, so we'll up mute all. There we are. Okay. There we are. Okay, good. We've managed to mute everyone. Baruch Hashem. Again, I'd love to hear all your opinions and everything, but we're just trying as much as we can to get through some material over here. So I want to tell you, you know, as I mentioned... This fellow says to me on Erev Shabbos, what is Emunah? What is it all about? You know, he's a yeshiva man, he's a koilul guy, he's not really worked too much on Emunah and Betochen. What is it exactly that he's meant to be working on? So in the Sefer Kol Elio from the Vilna Gain, he brings a posik in Tehillim, in Kuf Lamed Aleph Posik base, where the posik in Tehillim explains exactly what constitutes true and real Betochen. And the Posting in Tehillim says, Imloi Shivisi Vudaimamti Lanafshi Kugomulalai Imoi Kugomulalai Nafshi. And I quote and I'm going to translate, I swear that I quieted and I silenced my soul like a nursing child at his mother's side, like the nursing child is my soul. These are the words of Dovid Amelech. And Dovid Amelech is saying these words and the Vilna Goin is explaining them. And he explains that just like an infant, a young child drinks from its mother and doesn't have to worry. When will the next milk, when will the next feed be? When will the next meal be? We don't have to worry. A child has no worries about these things. Says Dovid Melech, this is true betochen. True betochen is that we totally understand where we're holding. And that's a very big idea as well. The Briskorov famously, when he was running away, and they were on the boat, away, and they were running, trying to get away from the Nazis, Shimon. so the, the Briskorov was saying, Oi, they're going to get us, and they're going to kill us, and who knows what's going to happen to us. And they said, Rebbe, calm down. I mean, it's going to be okay. We'll manage. Have betochen. And the Briskorov said, No, 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 no. Let me explain to you what betochen is. And he brings a raya from the Rambam this way. Says the Biskorov, you have to understand, Betochen doesn't mean everything will be okay. No, that's not Betochen. Betochen means, first and foremost, you understand the situation you're in, and then you realize that the Rabbanisham can save us. And that's what's happening. What's happening in this coronavirus is we have no idea what's going on. We have no idea what we can do apart from obviously stay in our homes, keep safe, and have a moon in the Rabbanisham. We have no idea. But only once we've recognized where we're holding, and once we've recognized what the, the threat is, that is when we can go along and change everything, and that's when we can start working on Betochen. And that, says Ravil Nagoin from Dovid Melech is real Betochen. The total understanding and the total tranquility to really believe 
Yes, there's a danger. Yes, it's terrible. But the Rabbi Nishlan who brought this can also remove it. And he can also help us eat in our own way. And that is exactly what it is in Shara Bitochen, which I've suggested to many people in the last few days to learn. In Shara Bitochen, he brings down that the essence of all Bitochen is Menuchas Hanefesh Boiteach, which means the peace of mind to someone who really trusts, someone that totally relies on the Rabbi Nishram and knows that whatever Hashem does is going to be the best for me. It may be difficult, it may be hard. But obviously this is what the Rabbani Shalom wants from you. Ravelio Lapian Zatzal, as we know, had a yeshiva in Kfar Hasidim. A Talmud once, once came over to Ravelio Lapian and he said, Rebbe, I'd like to thank you for everything you've done for me. It's been amazing here in yeshiva. Baruch Hashem, the food was great. The mattresses were unbelievable. Everything was, everything was great. Everything was amazing. But I'm leaving. And the Rebbe said, you're leaving. <laughs> Where are you going? He said, you have to understand, you know, times are hard. I have to prepare for real life. I've got to prepare for the future. And I've got to start going to university and to college. And I want to go and learn a trade. So Rebbe Lopian said to him, let me ask you a question. Why are you all of a sudden concerned about this? He said, what do you mean? A couple of years time, I've got to get married. I've got to support a family. It's not going to be easy. He said, married? Rebbe Lopian said, married? <laughs> Who said you're going to find a shidduch? He said, what do you mean, Rebbe? You know the Gemara in sight at that base. Everyone knows the Gemara. Where the Gemara tells us that Abraham Yoim, 40 days before the fetus is formed, it's already a bas call went out and already announced. Right? Bas plaini the plaini. We all know who's going to marry who. So, come on. It's the Gemara that says that. So, Rebelli Lopin says, Okay, fine, no problem. But, so you'll get married. Who said you'll have children? He said, Rebbe, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to give everyone children, so of course HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give me children. He said, okay, 100%, of course you have, you'll have children. But who said, you're going to find a job? I mean, you want to find a job, right? Who said you're going to manage? He said, don't worry, Hashem will help me find the job. Rebelli Lopin said to him, okay, listen to what you're saying. I asked you, how are you going to find a shidduch? Hashem. I asked you, children? Hashem. I asked you, Panasa? Hashem. Understand? And you have to leave right now? If you're such a big believer in the Rabbani Shalom, sustain yeshiva another couple of months and nothing's going to happen. And he accepted and he returned to the yeshiva and eventually he went to do what he had to do. The point that Rabbani Lopian was not making was don't go, to, don't go to work, don't leave yeshiva, that wasn't the point. But the cheshbon is that people make and they don't even realize it sometimes. A cheshbon is that are completely treif. That they themselves don't even hold up. They themselves realize there's a rabbi Nishalem and he runs the world. But all of a sudden when it comes to certain things, what's going on? And that's an unbelievable thing that again that we all have to realize they have to work on. There's a posuk in Micha. The posuk says, Kinofalti komti ki Hashem orli. Through I fell, I will, wa- I will rise. Though I sit in the darkness, Hashem is a light for me. There's an unbelievable Rabbeinu Yoyna. Rabbeinu Yoyna. In Shari Tshuva, and you look it up, Perik base, hey, that he says like this. Says Rabbeinu Yoyna, that if a person trusts in the Rabbeinu Shalom, he has hope, even in times that are very challenging. In times that are very, very difficult. Because, as Rabbeinu Yoyna says, it's the darkness that's the reason for the light. And he quotes the Chazal at the Medrash and Sochotayv in Tehillim that explains the Pasuk, Had I not fallen, I would not have risen. Had I not sat in the darkness, there would have been no light for me. We have an opportunity to rise only after we fall. And it's here so many things in life. But I think 
that we can apply it to now as well. We can apply it to our situation as well. It's dark. It's hard. It's difficult. We don't understand. Those of us that are in quarantine, those of us that are sitting at home, so maybe it's a little bit quote-unquote easier. Okay, because we've got our comforts, we've got our luxuries. But there are people out there that some of us even know. And if you don't know them, I could theoretically tell you some of them. Some of you do know them. Some of you don't know them. But there are people out there, as one person called me up, on Erev Shabbos, and he said, my mother's on a respirator, I have no way of finding out where she's holding. There's no one in the hospital, there's no one I can talk to, I don't know, is she alive, is she critical, I don't know anything. Do you know what that means, you know what the worry? You know what it is, he called me Motta Shabbos straight away after Shabbos to tell me that Baruch Hashem, her percentage of how much oxygen she needs has gone down, which is tremendous. But his worry that was lifted tremendously. And But we don't realize to use the opportunity. The Rabbinish Lailam, I don't know why. And I don't want to say why, because I don't know why. And I don't know if anybody knows why. But there's no question there's a purpose. And that's what over here, this Pasuk is telling us. And that's how Rabbi Yon is understanding it. Whenever there's darkness, whenever we fall, and falling doesn't necessarily mean completely. It could be in anything. You know how hard it is to daven b'kavona b'yechidas? It's hard. Right? People are busy running to minyonim. Obviously, they should not be going to minyonim. There should be no minyonim. Even private, even in garages, even if you've got all the space in the world, there should be no minyonim. And it's hard. People have to remember, by the way, the Rambam says that tefillah without kavona is not a tefillah. Tefillah without a minyon is absolutely a tefillah. So yes, it may be hard to daven at home. It may be hard to have kavana. But the truth is, if you think about it, you have a lot more time at home to think about the words. You've got a lot more time at home to go through every word slowly and carefully because there's no rush. There's no chazor sashats. There's no tachnun. There's nothing happening. So what are you rushing? Where are you going? There's nowhere to go. You're stuck at home. You're rushing to have breakfast. Another five minutes won't harm you. Think of the words. When you daven shachvis, mincha, and mariv in your house, however difficult that may be, do it with a bit more kavana. But understand that Chazal are telling us that for every darkness, for every fall, there's a purpose. But if we don't grab hold of that purpose, if we don't grab hold and use and utilize that opportunity that the Rabboni Shem gave us, that's terrible. I'll tell you a story in World War II. So World War II, as we know, took its toll on command every single family in Europe, amongst those that were suffering in a tremendous way, was the large family of the Imre Yemes. The Geri Rebbe, Rav Mordechai Alta. The Rebbe and some of his family had escaped Eretz Yisrael in 1940, but almost all of his children and grandchildren were murdered by the Nazis in Machshima. There was one grandson, Rav Noach Yaskovitz. He's the only one that survived. After the war, Reb Noach made his way to Israel to greet his grandfather. And he was so excited, the grandfather, to see his grandson, the Imre Emes, hugged him and kissed him, and then told him the following message. And I think this message really talks to us. The Imre Emes told his grandson when he came to Eretz Yisrael, he said, look at the Posuk in Bereshis Perek Zayin, Posuk Chof Gimel. Ach Noach. Noach was the only one to survive. Said the Imre Emes, and he asked his grandson, Why do you think the Rabbani Shalom saved Noach from the flood that destroyed the world? He paused, and then he looked his grandson in the eye, and he said, The answer is, because Noach had to build. And when he leaned even closer, he charged his grandson with the same responsibility. Build Noach. That's why Hashem allowed you to survive, because he wanted you to, be, to rebuild that which was destroyed. Think about all the precious time 
that we have now on our hands that we don't normally have. Right? People are not working in the same way. People are not learning in the same way. Everything is different. We have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to build from that which the Rabbi Shalom is doing for us. We don't understand, and maybe we shouldn't even try to understand, because it's very difficult. But, the Rabbi Shalom is showing us. You know, when Rabbi Shimon Bayochai and his son Rabbi Lazar was running away from the Romans, and they hid in the cave, as we know, many, many years. Those of you that are doing Dafayomi, it's coming up very, very soon. Tomorrow's Daf. So right outside the cave, there grew a carob tree. As we know, Chazal tell us there was a carob tree. And this carob tree provided a tremendous amount of food and nourishment for Rabbi Shemim Be'echai and his son throughout the years that he was in hiding. Now the Gemara in Bechorus, Davches, tells us, how long does it take for a carob tree to bear fruit? 70 years. It takes 70 years for carob tree to bear fruit, but yet for these two tzaddikim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu caused the nace to bear fruit of this tree immediately. Says the Marsha again, tomorrow is Dafayomi Daf, and that explains what was the pshat in this nace. It was a nace, says the Marisha. It was a miracle within a miracle. First, the tree was right there, outside the cave. I mean, what are the chances of that? Number one. Number two, that the fruit bore fruit immediately. Right before it took 70 years, this was immediate. So it was a nace, says the Marisha. What's the pshat? Does a person really want to eat carrot for 13 years? I mean, it's, come on, people are getting, you know, at home already for a few days, people are already getting like, oh my gosh, eggs again? What, baked potatoes again? Pasta? How much times can I do this? Seven, 13 years they were eating carob. The Ramon Shum could have made any other nisim. He could have made an apple tree and a grape tree. There could have been many things. Why the carob tree? And why for 13 years did it continue? So the answer is, and this is what some of the Mepharshim explain, that the carob was a, an everlasting reminder of the Rabbi Shalom's love for those two. And it was a tremendous thing because it demonstrated throughout what was going on. And it gave them encouragement that HaKadosh Baruch has not abandoned you. HaKadosh Baruch is there. And it's at times like these where again, some of us feel abandoned. Where's the Rabbi Shalom? What's going on? Why is this happening? Why are people suffering? How long is this going to go on for? How long can we stay in our homes? How long can people suffer? How many times can our solemn members go out? How many times can the Hevra Kedisha go out and bury people? How is it possible? Humanly possible? But the Rabbi Shalom is showing us but we have to look sometimes at how much he gives us and how much we have in our own lives. And how much you have to give a korosatov to the Rabbani Shalom and recognize what the Rabbani Shalom gives to us. I want to end with one last unbelievable and incredible episode that sometimes when we go the extra mile for the Rabbani Shalom, then the Rabbani Shalom reciprocates with his love the extra mile as well. And that's an important thing. You know, one of the most inspiring and heroic chapters of the Holocaust was a group of young Hasidim, they were known as the Matsovitsim. That this was a group that was led by Matis Gelman. Matis Gelman was a young man, he became religious only as a teenager. When Matis Gelman turned 15, he had a chance encounter with a Chotkever Rebbe, and after the meeting with the Rebbe, Matis decided, that's it, I want to become religious. His parents said, what are you, crazy? Religious at a time like this? You must be mad. And eventually he was banished from the home, sent out. Matis then fled to Poland, where he became 
a fully-fledged Gerach Hasid. And it was there that he impacted the lives of tens and tens of young men and brought new levels of Messiris Nefesh and commitment to the term Messiris Nefesh. So the Germans, as we know, stormed through Poland and conquered the entire country with only a few weeks. And within a few weeks, they managed, within their arrival, they managed to conquer the entire country. The Polish army just couldn't cope. They couldn't fight the German fighting machine. And immediately the anti-Semitic decrees went out regarding how the Jews should dress, what they have to put onto their arms, and how they can even walk. One of the decrees was an edict against Jewish men having a beard and payas. So many people were forced to shave off, off what they understood to become the badge of honor for many, many Jews. And on occasion, the German officers would mock the Jews, cut their beards off and in a humiliating fashion. But there was a group of Gerach Hasidim that totally refused and did not comply and did not remove their beards. The refusal meant that none of the group could be seen ever in public, because that means they couldn't go out to get food, because obviously if they're in public, who knows what could happen to them. Nevertheless, however difficult it was, they maintained their commitment never to shave. Matis himself, he inspired all his followers to defy the orders by instilling them a very simple message. Our oppressors cannot take away our neshamas. Realizing that death almost certainly awaited them, it was just a matter of time, he rationalized if we're going to die either way, let's ju- die with the Gemara in our hands and the words of the Rabbanijam's Torah in our lips and the group hid in the basement and in bunkers and would go for long periods of time without food. At night, some of them would sneak out and find scraps and they would bring it back to the others. However, the ghetto was empty, there were basically no Jews left. Hoping to smoke out any last few rebels, the Nazis in Machshomam set building after building on fire. The fire spread quickly throughout the ghetto. Within a day or so, there would be no one left alive. After a war, a notebook was found after the war with a final record of one of the heroes that died. One of the Matsovitsim. And the following entry was the last one recorded in this diary. And I quote, I am now alone. No one else is left here with me. The suffering we've experienced over the last few days is unimaginable. Most probably the flames will consume me within the next few hours. The thick and suffocating clouds of smoke are seeping through the cracks into the room where I'm hiding. No doubt it's permissible for me at this point to give up my end of my life by jumping into the flames of fire. I fought hard. This would enable me to forfeit the rest of my battle and therefore my pain. But I recall the famous story. One was recounted by the Chovetz Chaim when he lost his child. The story took place during the times of the Spanish Inquisition. The identity of one of the Moranos had finally been revealed and he was forced to take his family and flee on a moment's notice. Having to leave all of his wealth and riches behind, he made his way through the secret tunnel into a ship and ended up in Morocco. Once he was there, he settled temporarily with a group of fugitives and other escapees. The surroundings were pitiful and soon deadly, and there was an infectious disease that broke out. One son got sick and died, and then another, and another. Finally, his wife succumbed to the same illness. It was impossible to comprehend. A few short weeks before, he had been a wealthy man, with a beautiful family, living in the lap of luxury. Now he had nothing. He wouldn't complain, but in great pain, he cried out, Rabbi What more do you want to take from me? What more do you want me to do that I should stop believing in you? Almost all of my fellow Jews have been forced to flee our homeland. I was forced to leave my my amazing home and hide in a dark, horrible cellar. 
and I still loved you. I lost my wealth, and I loved you. You took away my wife and children, and I still love you. What else do you want to take away from me that I will not continue to believe in you and love you? I have only two things left. I have my life and my faith. The soul is yours and the body is your handiwork. If you want to, you can take them. They're yours. All that remains is my faith. And the Rabbani Shalom, although everything in the world is under your control, there is only one thing that is mine and mine alone, my faith, and that even you cannot take away from me. So if you want to end my life, then do so. Now this young hero concluded the journal and the diary in the ghettos. I debated whether I should jump into the raging flames that surround me and save myself, perhaps from a few moments of pain and suffering. But as I prepared to die, I realize now more than ever before how precious every moment that I can spend here on earth. Therefore, I will do nothing to shorten my life even by a few moments. Even for every second is precious. It's an extra opportunity to believe in Hashem, to love in Hashem. I no longer have my family or my friends. They've been taken away from me. But there is someone left with whom I can spend these last few moments. And I want to spend them with you. So I choose you, Hashem. I choose to say to you that nothing you do will ever break me. It's here that I choose to crown you. Here that I choose to love you. Jump in the flames, never. I will continue to fight here to be with you, to believe in you, until the very last moment, until I can fight no more. I love you forever, dear father. Raboisa, what an emotional account from a diary in the ghettos in Poland. But it speaks to us. In Baruch Hashem, we're not, we're, not, we're not faced with these challenges. And we should never be faced with these challenges. Not us, not anyone in Klalisol, not anyone in the world. But just to take for a moment the emuna, Just to take what he had. How difficult life was. Much more difficult than what we're going through. But he was able to hold on to his emuna. He was able to see through everything. And there's a Rabbi Shalom. And I believe... And again, if I can say one thing at this difficult time to everyone that's listening, and that is to really believe. To really believe. Think, think, think. Use a few moments during the day, the peace and quiet. Maybe the kids are up during the day. It's difficult. Everyone's has a different asylum. Wait till they're sleeping at night, early in the morning, whatever chance you get. And close your eyes and think for a moment. Am I really having a moon in Hashem? Am I really believing in the Rabbi Shlonim? And in Mitzvah Hashem, if we do that, the Rabbi will see that we've gone the extra mile. We've done whatever we can. And in Mitzvah Hashem, the Rabbi will give us all tremendously out of the Shemaya, a big refuah to Klal Yisrael. And Be'ezah Hashem, this will end with Mishiach Tzedkenu, Bimheiru Vyomenu, Amen.